You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Happy Wednesday. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, and it's V-Week here at ESPN when we partner with the V Foundation to highlight the urgent need for cancer research. It's game-changing research that helps save lives. And you can join the fight against cancer by visiting v.org slash donate. That's the letter v.org slash donate. 100% of your donation goes directly to cancer research. We have lots to get into tonight, but we want to start off by looking back at that incredible 1993 SB speech from Jimmy V. Two, but... I can't help it. Now when I'm fighting cancer, everybody knows that. Uh, and people ask me all the time about how you, you go through your life and how's your day. And nothing has changed for me, as Dick said. I'm a very emotional, passionate man. I can't help it. That's being the son of Rocco and Angelina Valvano. That just comes with the territory, right? We hug, we kiss, we love. And, and when people say to me, how do you get through uh, life or, or each day, it's the same thing. To me, there are three things we all should do every day. We do this every day of our life. You're going to have, what a wonderful, number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears. Could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. And so, I can't help. I rode on the plane up today with Mike Krzyzewski, my, my good friend and a wonderful coach, but people don't realize he's a 10 times better person than he is a coach, and we know he's a great coach. He's meant a lot to me in these last five or six months of my battle. But when I look at Mike, I think we competed against each other as players. I coached against him for 15 years, and I always have to think about what's important in life is to, to think to me of three things, where you started, where you are, and where you're going to be. Those are the three things that I try and do every day. And you know, when I think about getting up and giving a speech, I can't help it. I have to remember the first speech I ever gave. I was coaching at Rutgers University. That was my first job. All I, oh, that's a, wonderful. And I was the freshman coach. That's when freshmen played on freshman team. And I was so fired up about my first job. I see Lou Holtz, Coach Holtz here. What was it like the first job you had, right? The very first time you stood in a locker room to give a pep talk. That's a special place, the locker room, for a coach to give a talk. So my idol as a coach was Vince Lombardi. And I read this book called Commitment to Excellence by Vince Lombardi. And in the book, Lombardi talked about the first time he spoke before his Green Bay Packer team in the locker room. There were perennial losers. And I'm reading this, and Lombardi said he was thinking, should it be a long talk, a short talk? But he wanted to be emotional. He said, be brief. And this is what he did. He, he, normally, you get in a locker room, I don't know, 25 minutes, a half hour before the team takes the field. You do your little X and O's, and then you give the great Newt Rockney talk. We all do. Speech number 84. You pull them right out. You get, you get ready. Get your squad ready. Well, this is the first one I ever gave. And I read this thing, Lombardi. What he said was, he didn't go in. He waited. His team was wondering, where is he? Where is this great coach? He's not there. Ten minutes. He's still not there. Three minutes before they take the field, Lombardi comes in, bangs the door open, and I think you all remember what great presence he had, right? Great presence. And he walked in, and he just walked back and forth like this, just walk, staring at the players. And he said, all eyes on me. And I'm reading this in this book. And I'm getting a picture of this Lombardi before the, his first game. And he said, gentlemen, we will be successful this year. You can focus on three things and three things only. Your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers. 
and he like that. And the rest of it, they knocked the walls down. The rest was history. I said, that's beautiful. I'm going to do that. Your family, your religion, and Rutgers basketball. That's it. I had it. I'm, listen, I'm 21 years old. The kids I'm coaching are 19, all right? And, I, and I'm going to be the greatest coach in the world, the next Lombardi. And I'm, ready, and I'm practicing out in the right side locker room. The, the manager's telling me, you got to go in. Not yet, not yet. Family, religion, Rutgers basketball. All eyes on me. I got it, I got it. And now finally he said, three minutes. I said, fine. True story. I go to knock the doors open, just like Lombardi. Boom! It didn't open. I almost broke my arm. I was like, you know, it was one that didn't open. Now I'm down, the players are looking. You know, coach, get, you know, help the coach up, help him up. You know? And now I did like Lombardi. I walked back and forth, right? and I was going like that with my arm, get the feeling back in it. And finally I said, gentlemen, all eyes on me. And these kids wanted to play. They're 19. Let's go. I said, gentlemen, we'll be successful this year if you can focus on three things and three things only. They said, yeah. Then your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers, I told you. <laughs> I did that. I remember that. <laughs> I remember. I remember where I came from. It's so important to know where you are. And I know where I am right now. How do you go from where you are to where you want to be? And I think it, it, you have to have an enthusiasm for life. You have to have a dream, a goal. You have to be willing to work for it. I talked about my family. My family is so important. People think I have courage. The courage of my family is my wife, Pam, my three daughters here, Nicole, Jamie, Leanne, my mom, who is right here, too. And, and, and that screen is flashing up there 30 seconds. Like, I care about that screen right now, huh? I got, I got, I got tumors all over my body. I'm worried about some guy in the back going 30 seconds, huh? You got a lot. Hey, phenomenal, buddy. Yeah, you got a lot. I just got one last thing. I urge all of you, all of you, to enjoy your life, the precious moments you have, to spend each day with some laughter and some thought, to get your emotions going, to be enthusiastic every day, and Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm. To keep your dreams alive in spite of problems, whatever you have, to be able to work hard for your dreams to, become, to come true, become a reality. Now I, I look at where I, I am now, and I know what I want to do. What I would like to be able to do is to spend whatever time I have left and to give and maybe some hope to others. Right? Arthur Ashe Foundation is a wonderful thing. And, and AIDS, the, the, the amount of money pouring in for AIDS is not enough, but it is significant. But if I told you it's 10 times the amount that comes in for cancer research, I also tell you that 500,000 people will die this year of cancer. And I also tell you that one in every four will be afflicted with this disease. And yet, for somehow, we seem to have put it in a little bit of the background. I want to bring it back on the front table. We need your help. I need your help. We need money for research. It may not save my life. It may save my children's lives. It may save someone you love. And it's very important. And ESPN has been so kind to support me in this endeavor and allow me to announce tonight that with ESPN's support, which means what? Their, 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 their money and their dollars and their help in me, we are starting 
the Jim, Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research. And its, and its motto is, don't give up, don't ever give up. And that's what I'm going to try to do. Every minute that I have left, I will thank God for the day and the moment I have. And if you see me, smile and maybe give me a hug, because that's important to me too. But try, if you can, to support, whether it's AIDS or the Cancer Foundation, so that, that someone else might survive might prosper and might actually be cured of this dreaded disease. I can't thank ESPN enough for allowing this to happen, and I'm going to work as hard as I can, you know, for cancer research, and hopefully we'll be, maybe we'll have some cures and some breakthroughs, and I'd like to think, I'm going to fight my brains out to be back here again next year for the Arthur Ashe recipient. I want to give it next year. I know I've got to go, I've, I've got to go, and I've got one last thing. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind, it cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul. And those three things are going to carry on forever. I thank you, and God bless you all. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Tons of hits, Fitz, and one of one of my favorite bands of all time. Oh yeah, one of those sneaky bands for me in the sense that when somebody walks up and just bombards you with the "What's your favorite band of all time?" question, I rarely think of Fleetwood Mac. And then every time I hear Fleetwood Mac, I think, "Why do I not think of them right. more often in that conversation?" The number of hits they have, the flawless execution of their vocals. I mean, so I just, good. They're they're they are absolute perfection. So good. R.I.P. to Christine McVie. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz, ESPN Raiders, presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to talk to uh, Aaron Goldhammer out of ESPN Cleveland in just a few minutes about Deshaun Watson's return this weekend. But we wanted to play a little bit of what we heard about his return. Uh, Deshaun chose not to speak today. He was expected to meet with the media for the first time since his 11-game suspension ended, but he did not. Some of his teammates spoke, saying things like, we're excited, we've waited for him to return. You know exactly what's expected. But no words from Deshaun. And his coach didn't talk either. Deshaun's been here for five weeks, been around his teammates, been out of practice, been in walkthroughs. So uh, I've said it to you guys before, I've, you, know, you know this, but this is about us versus Texans is really the focus. Control what you can control. And uh, we have to... Have a great week of practice and be ready to play a great game on Sunday. So Fitz, is that a win for them to say absolutely nothing and to act as though they are not capable of speaking to the nuance of the situation, or is it a fail? Uh, mm, I think it's a fail for the standard that we hold, but I think it's the easiest solution for them. They don't want to put anybody in a situation that creates more conversation. So it feels like they came into media training and told everybody, say nothing, right? And that's yeah. just I sort think that's of the embarrassing. I, I just think if you are going to be the one who takes on the responsibility, you have to be able to speak about it and be informed. And we'll see if that changes because I guarantee you, you he's going to get some tough questions. Do you think that there's anything they can't – like this is the one side of it I keep thinking about from a coach and player standpoint – 
what can you say in that situation? Yeah. I mean, we talked about that pre-show, right? Like, it, it would be tough to say the right thing. But I do think if they continue to go the route of saying nothing, either literally not speaking at all or obfuscating in the way that we just heard uh, from Stefanski, I think it's not going to be well-received. Yeah, I, I think I, you have a responsibility when you decide to make that signing. I feel like there's going to be this moment because as the starting quarterback, Deshaun Watson will have to be made available. Yeah. And when he is made available, I'm just anticipating already the response is going to be, I'm here to talk about football and only football and not right. answer any questions about the past. Uh, there are going to be a lot of takes about Deshaun. I imagine that some of them will hurt my head. I imagine yes. I will disagree with a lot of them. For instance, the idea that nothing has changed for him. Here's Keyshawn on KJ and Max. Only things changed for him. Is a different team, mm -hmm. different uniforms, different coaches, better team, and different environment. He's not hurt. He didn't miss any time. He's still over the last year and a half or so. Even when he was going through all of what he was going through in the entire year that he set out leading up until he was traded to Cleveland, where he got to participate in mini camps and all that sort of stuff, he was doing football acclimated things. The speed of the game is the only thing that he has to get used to again. Things flashing in front of him. As far as his skill set goes. He's probably gotten better because he's been able to fine-tune, along with Quincy Avery, his quarterback coach, some of the things he's been able to fine-tune that he didn't have a year and a half and ago. Okay, first of all, Max is always in every clip. Like, we've <laughs> never played a clip that Max isn't at the end of. Uh, okay, so nothing's changed except for his coach, the colors of his uniform, the teammates, the staff, the scheme, where he's playing. Uh, he didn't miss any time? No. That's not accurate. Yes, he was not injured. He has missed two years of time. I, I just think it's such a simplified look. Of course, it ignores the larger issues of everything else, but it also, in a football sense, is really incomplete to me. And I know we're going to talk to Aaron Goldhammer about all this, but that just seemed off to me. Yeah, I, I can't buy that nothing's changed simply because he looked rusty in the preseason. So we've already right. got a little bit of like, hey, if nothing had changed, then Deshaun would have come in, lit the preseason up. We'd all be saying, can't wait. I, I think it's fair and reasonable for the football player side of this to have a real conversation about when he can contribute because I doubt it's this Sunday to the best of his ability. Even quarterbacks that only miss a few weeks come right. back with a little bit of rust, nonetheless again, a couple of years. Again, two years plus new coach, teammates, scheme, et cetera, like that limited amount of time that he had to work before the suspension. Uh, it's been a long time since then now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Like I said, we'll continue that conversation in a minute. But Fitz, you were off the show last night cheating on me right up until the final hours of our radio marriage, which is of no surprise to anyone. But that means we didn't get to hear you talk about the CFP rankings. Georgia remains number one, Michigan up to number two, TCU stayed at three, USC First time in the top four after the Buckeyes fell and LSU lost. Ohio State now at number five, Alabama six. You got a beef with any of this? I don't really have a beef with any of it. I think it's kind of what I expected. I do think it's a little surprising that Alabama sits at six and Tennessee, a team that beat them head-to-head, -head, sits at seven. And I know a lot of fans are like, well, Tennessee just got their butt kicked by South Carolina. It doesn't matter. It's not that long ago we saw those two teams on, a, you know, on the Tennessee field. Uh, where the Vols won that football game. So to me, the committee sometimes says, well, wins matter. And then sometimes it's, well, head-to-head -head matters. And which is mm -hmm. it in this situation? Because it could end up costing, depending on how the bowl games shake out, it could end up costing the Vols program millions of dollars that Alabama's ahead of them. It could give Alabama a much better bowl situation than Tennessee. So I do think that that's a controversy. I want to ask you quickly, Courtney Cronin said this last night on this show. If you look at 12 games of the sample size that the CFP committee has to work on, and they clearly think USC, an 11-1 USC team, has 
proven itself worthy of a playoff spot, more so than Ohio State and Alabama, then I don't think it's fair going into this weekend when they play Utah in the Pac-12 championship to ask them to play a 13 game, ter- 13th mm. game to like prove you belong in the top four. So I I think that punishes them for winning their division and playing a conference title game. It's It would be different if Ohio State and Alabama had to play a 13th game this weekend as well. But I want this to stay the way it is because I don't think it would be just to the rest of the teams in the CFP if you're just wait, basically waiting on a TCU or a USC yeah. to lose to put the other two in for consideration. I, Fitz, I sometimes those Courtney's, games help you. Yeah, uh, exactly. I understand what Courtney's saying, but sometimes those games are a huge help. And when I talked to the committee chair last week, he reminded me every single week they sit there and look at it like it's a brand new week. What we thought last week means nothing. They consider the body of work as it stands that week. That's a big addition with the win if they get one over Utah. Yeah, certainly a conversation to be had there about uh, wanting to throw it out if something bad happens. A lot of people say stop the vote is what I'm saying, and then uh, (laughs) you you might get benefited from later on. Uh, We'll continue to react to Deshaun Watson's return coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spectacular days. We do need Aaron Goldhammer, co-host of the really big show on ESPN Cleveland, hanging out with us now. You can follow him on Twitter at HammerNation19. Uh, Aaron, we were just trying to make sense of kind of the, the tone overall from the organization, which over the course of today seemed to be a, meth- a message of say nothing. What's the local reaction to the fact that it feels like everybody's speaking very politically and saying nothing about any of this now that Deshaun has been reinstated? Hi guys, do we Hi. have to talk about this? Or Sarah, <laughs> yeah, can we, we sure talk do. about can we talk about deep dish pizza or something, please? <laughs> no? Always. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, no, I I agree. Um, first of all, I thought it was odd that Deshaun Watson did not address the media today. Now, I think Deshaun Watson's done a pretty crappy job of addressing the media since this whole thing with the allegations and the trade to Cleveland went down. But what ended up happening is all of his teammates had to sort of answer on his behalf, which I thought put them in a very weird spot. And then I think the rule, you guys, is that the starting quarterback for a team has to address the media every week where he or the team is going to get fined. So I don't know if he's going to talk on Thursday or Friday or if he's not going to meet with the media before the game. If I was Watson, I would want to get all of that stuff, you know, out of the way before we finally maybe kind of sort of move on to football starting on Sunday in Houston. Um, You know, the Browns players are trying to say the right things, but it's I've been in this position for the last nine months. Like it's just an impossible tightrope to walk. um, And it's uncomfortable is the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's obviously it's going to happen at some point. Um, I think it's going to be up to the reporters and all of the different situations, which include, you know, alleged uh, victims showing up at games. Will that continue beyond just this game in Texas? Will there be other news pegs that you reporters might use to ask specific questions of Watson? At some point, he will have to be ready to address it. Do you think that the team um, had any control today over whether he spoke? Good question, and I don't know who ultimately made that decision. I mean, my guess it, it's Watson's call or maybe ownership is involved. I mean, I wouldn't totally put it on Brown's you know, pu- public relations. But, I mean, I, I think the other message that I think it would be good for Deshaun to put out there is just like, guys, you know, I know this has been a big deal. I understand that, but I've served an 11-game suspension now. 
and all but one or two of the cases have settled, and it's time for me to continue my football career. Um, because I think there will come a time um, where some people will be able to watch Deshaun Watson without thinking about the incidents. Um, I don't know when that's going to be, but I just know the history of this stuff, and that's usually eventually what happens, especially if he comes out and plays really well like I think he might. Well, you mentioned that you think he might come back and play really well. We haven't seen him play football in so long. What are the realistic expectations for rust versus rest and how he should look? He hasn't played a game in over 700 days, (laughs) um, and I think that it's fair to say that he's going to be rusty, and I think he's going to try to throw seven touchdown passes on his first pass, if that makes sense, because he knows one way to change the narrative about his situation is to play great, win six in a row, lead the Browns to the division championship, go to the Super Bowl. Like if all those things happen, I think the story shifts into another area. So I think the Browns are going to have to be careful this week. I I think they can't forget that Nick Chubb plays on their team. And I think that it's really beneficial to them, although going to Houston creates a bit of a distraction for Watson. Certainly, I think that it's beneficial to them that they're playing the worst team in the league and that they can sort of work him in slowly so that he doesn't feel like he has to go toe-to-toe with an elite quarterback in his first game back. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to the co-host of The Really Big Show on ESPN Cleveland, Aaron Goldhammer. You know, a lot of people talking about Jacoby Brissett looking pretty good. Is there anybody arguing not to make the switch? If the Browns were 8-3, and three, we would be taking those calls. But the Browns are four and seven. And I think, Sarah, that a lot of fans, um, it's impossible to speak for the entire fan base on this issue because everybody comes at it from such a different perspective. But I think a lot of fans have really been um, innocent bystanders and suffered a little bit in this situation. They felt guilty about rooting for their team. They've had a very uncomfortable offseason and visits to training camp. And, you know, we know the names Sue L. Robinson and Peter C. Harvey, who decided the discipline. And we've talked as much about that stuff as we have actual football. And fans have been made almost to feel guilty. But but they haven't been able to see why the Browns decided to take this risk at all. So I think that a lot of fans, rather than looking back at Brissett, are sort of looking forward to the positives in why the Browns decided to do this, which is that they're going to get the first franchise quarterback in Cleveland, they think, in about 40 years. So what level of winning will it take over the next three years to make all of this worth it? Browns have to go to the Super Bowl, you know. And, and even then, like, I can't it's say it's still it subjective. Worth, yeah, yeah, right. right. I mean, I, even then, I can't say that it was worth it. Like, what, what, what does that mean? I, I just, I think that, in order for the Browns in their minds for it to be justified, they have to go to their first Super Bowl. And if they do, and they get to have the parade or whatever downtown, I'm sure in their offices they'll be high-fiving. But this is something that's going to have long-lasting impact on the fan base. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, then we'll go through the whole narrative about the first home game. You know, does does Watson get cheered? Are there some boos? Like, there's going to be... All of those questions that are going to be fallout and fodder for us to discuss, in addition to just how he's playing over the course of the next couple of weeks. Sarah, do you think can I can I honestly talk about him as a football player now? Like or 
as a now listener, like on our show or in general like in like in general like like let's say yeah. you were a listener to our show in cleveland i hate to turn the interview around on you guys yeah yeah but can I can I talk about him as a football player without I don't know what do you what do you think or or do yeah, I always so, have to look at things through the lens of the allegations and what's happened with him This is something we talked about last night something Mina and I have talked about something Mina actually I believe wrote a whole story about Tyree Kill trying to get to the bottom of which is that eventually you can't bring it up every time you talk about someone because they're going to keep throwing pl- passes and making plays and playing in games I think right now, especially, and as this transition from Brissett to Watson continues, you need to acknowledge it and you need to not step on it when you do, right? I think that's the key is um, there's so much to talk about with Deshaun Watson and the situation off the field. Right now, let's address how he's going to look in this offense. Or there's plenty to discuss when it comes to Deshaun Watson and how he'll be received by fans. Let's also take a look here at the prognosis for the football team with him you know, under, under center, because I think the problem is, is that people are so desirous of being able to talk about the football that they say dumb stuff. Like let's just talk about the football where it sounds like you're angry that people expect more. And I don't think that's fair. So you need to recognize that some people will never think it's time to talk about the football. And it's okay if you do, but don't do it in a way that sounds bitter or angry towards those people who think there's a lot more to this than just X's and O's. You know what I can't lose sight of? Listening right now to us and listening to our show, you know, on in weekday mornings, like there are victims, you know, of sexual assault, harassment, listening to the show. Yes. So I have to be respectful of them. But I'm also, you know, I'm a dude. And so like immediately, I don't know. All I can tell you is Devin texted me earlier today about coming on with you guys to talk about this. And immediately my heart rate went up. I mean, I knew <laughs> I I knew I should do it. I knew I wanted to do it because I like you guys and because it's our network. But I'm not going to lie, like talking about this is so fraught and none of it is fun. I like to have fun. I know you guys like to have fun. There's it's just hard to have fun with Deshaun Watson, at right. least today. And maybe well, and ever. I'll just tell you as simply as I can that it's hard to be a woman who's a sports fan and have fun a lot of the time too, right? It's not that we want to talk about this stuff. It's not that we want to not talk about the fun stuff. It's that we Uh are constantly reminded of our devaluation as human beings, of how little it matters uh, that our lives and our value and everything else. And so I think that's why, like, it's hard sometimes to have people say, oh, this ruins the fun. Well, so does a lot of what we have to put up with in order to just participate in conversation, have jobs in the business, show up to games and not be harassed, et cetera, and so on, you know? I think there's also, though, like a, a real complication to this particular conversation because in a lot of sports, you could go to one particular player and say, yeah, he's a star, but I'm just going to root against him and root for my favorite team to win. When it's your yeah. quarterback, it's you can't hard. do that. Yeah. There's just no way that your quarterback is going to you know, fall yeah. apart and your team's yeah. going to be good. So it's an added layer of complication to football particularly. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say, you know, Sarah, you were so critical of Browns fans during training camp, and I understood completely where you were coming from. You know, and I, I shut up and listened to what you had to say at that time because fans were applauding Watson and asking for his autograph and and you were so passionate and succinct in the way that you expressed your feelings about that. At the same time, I also felt for fans like who didn't know how to feel, you know what I mean? Because this is their favorite team. 
Their grandfather rooted for Paul Brown and had season tickets in the 1950s. And so are they just supposed to throw away that piece of their identity because the Browns no, did and this? No, it's the same thing I said about Araldis Chapman, right? I was yeah. beyond to have my team finally win the World Series, but I did not clap for him. I did not cheer when he was the one on the mound. It made yeah. me feel sick it's that he was a football, part of it. Though. It's harder yeah. in football. I mean, I agree, but is so if, you recall, if you recall, if you recall what I said about that moment was this man is returning to the field because he wasn't allowed on it for a very good reason. So the response to his return doesn't need to be cheers and autographs. It can be, yeah. I hope that our team does well, and eventually I'll reconcile maybe how, how I cheer for the team and for him. But it was yeah. that immediate. It was the same as Ray Rice returning to practice and getting cheered. What are you cheering for? Right. Yeah, like what I, and, what in this moment are you cheering for? Not overall, not in general, not in the midst of a game. You're cheering for the presence and arrival of a person who was away for a very good reason. I, and this look, Aaron, I hear you to my core. I said this as a Raiders fan, lifelong diehard. I can't imagine if Deshaun Watson had been my favorite team's quarterback because I just don't I don't know how you navigate that when you know that it's not somebody you may want to root for. But it's also the team that I, I can't control the fact that my week is is made better or ruined by how the Raiders play. As irrational and as stupid as right. that is, it's in my blood. So I think we feel that to our core. Uh, you should listen to him on the really big show on ESPN Cleveland. Follow him on Twitter at HammerNation19. Uh, I, I appreciate you coming on, yeah, hanging out with us, my friend. Yeah, thanks for the conversation and the honesty. Like, we appreciate it. This stuff it. really matters to us. We really appreciate it. No, you, th- th- thank you for everything you guys have done uh, over your long 174-year career hosting the show <laughs> yes, on ESPN yes. Radio. Feels like uh, it and Sarah, you, Sarah, you will be missed on the radio team <laughs> very, very much. Uh, Thank very you so much. much. J- I appreciate Jason. it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah, you know I love holiday movies, right? Like, everybody knows that I'm super into... I go straight from Halloween directly to Christmas, to the point mm-hmm. that most years when I'm out there frugally the day after Christmas or day after Halloween... <laughs> Uh, cramming my car with like murderous zombies that I bought half off from Spirit Halloween. I do that <laughs> while I have Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you, like just cranking at the top of the the stereo volume. So Nightmare like, Before I, Christmas must just be like you're you're the 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 place where all the joy meets. See, th- that's the thing though. Like I am a, as as I sit here in a massive Grinch hoodie. I am a Grinch fan. I am a Christmas movie purist. I like all of the Christmas carols. Like everyone, like give me the Mickey ones. I like feel good. I like feel good Christmas movies. So I, I'm a little torn because there's two coming out now that are more along my Halloween uh, one. One is Violent Night for anybody that hasn't seen it. This this looks badass. Like right, it's Santa Claus delivering the uh, the toys, and it looks like uh, a bunch of people have come in to a rich folks, uh, rich family's house. They're holding them ransom for or hostage while they try and break into the safe, and Santa starts killing people. I'm in for that one because it's like <laughs> it badass. Looks very Santa. violent. The it name does, sounds I mean, appropriate. Yeah, and it's got Hopper from Stranger Things, and yep. it looks like I mean it's very Hopper esque too. So I'm I'm all in for that one. But I'm all out for the mean one, which is apparently like. The opening scene is Cindy Lou Who's family getting killed by the Grinch. Like, Ooh. I am totally out on the mean one. I don't know why, but like, I'm I'm good with Santa Claus being empowered. I'm not good with the Grinch becoming even more sinister. I'm putting this up on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. You can vote uh, whether you're in for the murderous Santa and killer Grinch, or if you prefer your Christmas content cozy. Uh, we will talk about that and. There are a couple other Christmas movies that seem cozy that I am very in for that we need to get to later. Okay, uh, we we will do that. I also love Christmas movies cozy. That's just total professionalism. Uh, cozy but Christmas speaking content. Of, 
Uh, oh, look, the alliteration is just <laughs> spectacular here. But speaking of, of drama, we've got some happening right now in this moment, breaking drama in the NFL on uh, Twitter, as apparently Patrick Peterson on his All Things Covered podcast said, quote, Kyler Murray doesn't care about anybody but Kyler Murray, which Pro <sighs> Football Focus tweeted out. Now we have a quote tweet from Kyler Murray saying, this isn't true. You're on some weird blank. And then he adds Patrick Peterson and says, you got my number. If you really feel like this is a quote big bro or quote mentor, you're supposed to call me and tell me, not drag me so your podcast can grow. Ooh. Strong statement uh, in response, especially since he added him. I feel like now we got extra, extra T going between these two. Yeah, so this is perfect timing for the conversation that I wanted to have that I sent you a message about earlier in the day, which is we've been on this timeline where at every given point when a talented quarterback that you can win with or because of, as long as you don't win in spite of, when those contracts have come up, we've essentially said that's a lot of money, sticker shock is insane, but what's your other option? Can you afford to start over? Is this quarterback worth the price because that position is so important. And at almost every turn, we've said yes. But this year, I'm looking at Murray, and now not only does he have the clause that was eventually removed but involved the amount of homework he had to do in video games he had to stop playing, but he's beefing with his coach, and there were some pretty serious, obvious overtones from his coach when we had the backup in talking about how great he looked and how hard he worked and how efficient he was. There was very clearly shade at Kyler, right? And we saw even in the preseason stuff like having him call plays and getting on the headphones, uh, headsets and saying, you know, it's a lot harder than he thinks it is, right? The back and forth shade has been there. So he's not playing well. He's signed to a massive deal. He's beefing with dudes on Twitter. You add that to Russ and what Russell Wilson is doing and how much of that you want to blame on Nathaniel Hackett is up to you, but he is very much a part of that. you got Aaron Rodgers, whose contract is an absolute albatross that just gets bigger every year the further down we go. With Lamar Jackson, who we started the season saying he's just making himself more money every day. Do we think that's still true? Or is it possible that there might be a shift in thinking after watching a number of these quarterbacks become a weight for their team instead of an asset? Every time we see a contract that turns out to be a hindrance, whether it's at the running back position or now I think at the wide receiver position, we start to question whether or not that position is being devalued across the landscape of the league. When you look at what the contract for Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers specifically are going to do to those two teams, not just for right now, but for the foreseeable future, I mean, to me, this has to at least give everybody a little bit of pause on fully guaranteed money that doesn't have an out. Like, that's the one thing. How many times have we heard players talk about the fact that they want more guaranteed money from the NFL? This is part of why coaches and, and organizations get nervous about that. If I'm the Ravens and I'm looking around, even if I think Lamar Jackson is the second coming, I'm still looking at Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers saying, my God, those teams are hamstrung for the next three, four years with situations that may actually hold them back. I don't know that I want to do that, but I don't know what choice I have. I think it's getting tougher and tougher because there's not really a middle ground anymore. At the very least, it will likely cause some some teams to consider the language, right? Now, listen, we didn't have time to talk about uh, a couple weeks ago or maybe last week it was that the NFL was accused of colluding to avoid guaranteed contracts. This after 
uh, folks were pretty angry about the Browns giving Deshaun Watson his deal, but the NFLPA has filed a grievance alleging that they colluded to not fully guarantee deals after that. And, you know, I, I don't think they'll be able to, to completely ignore the, that quarterbacks are going to keep demanding more and more money and better deals, but I think they have some examples to hold up now in their conversations with agents to say it's just not that simple anymore. We've seen too many teams fall prey to this. Yeah, and I think that's – but all of this speaks to why quarterbacks want these things to be guaranteed because if mm-hmm. the wheels fall off with your organization, if you're Russell Wilson and you're there and suddenly everything goes wrong with the Broncos, you're still going to get yours one way or the other. So that that's even going to make the line in the sand tougher to figure out. All right, we'll get back to it, but we got to get into some hoops. How good is Luca? We'll examine it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. 